0: Welcome to the Idea Climbing Podcast. In this episode, we're discussing successful business storytelling. You'll learn how to cut through the noise and grab people's attention, the three types of business stories, what not to do when telling a business story, how to craft your business story and more. I'm very excited to have my friend Chris Brogan as a guest. He's the president of Chris Brogan Media, offering business storytelling and marketing advisory help for mid to larger size companies. Chris is a sought-after keynote speaker and the New York Times best-selling author of Nine Books and Counting. He's working on his 10th. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for being on the Idea Climbing podcast, Chris. It's great to have you here.
1: You know, I haven't climbed anything in a while, but I'm feeling up to the challenge. I brought boots.
0: We will take care of it verbally then. Good. Good. And we were talking about business storytelling. You brought up that distraction becomes the norm, not the exception. And stories can help deal with that distraction. Could you talk more to that?
1: You know, for all the great things that have happened with the advances of technology, and I'm never, ever the guy pooping on technology. We need it to go the way it is. We need to have it the way it is. Uh, For all of that, what's happened is we've invited a device into our lives that is forever prodding us. And that that most of the people who have created utilities for it know that there's kind of this gambler's addiction to watching a little red one show up in a corner and that sort of thing. And so the real important goal of most of the the technology in our life is, could you just give me some of your attention, please? Can I have a little attention? You know, in the old days, uh, if we had to go to the bathroom at work, we might take a section of the newspaper with us should, you know, we understand what I mean. Um, And then along came uh, cell phones and we could play Snake. Uh, but we would only play Snake and we would get bored of it really quick. Now we have a device that is in a full-on entertainment center in our hand at all times. So between work and our personal interests and our family life and all that, this one rectangle keeps us not paying attention. And so add to that the fact that in business, we've had to you know, crush the middle management out of almost every company that exists. Every uh, frontline person is being responsible to be a leader more often than they ever have. It's just kind of a chaotic environment, and so we as uh, leaders or managers or bosses of any kind are forever thinking we've conveyed something, walking off and hoping we can do our job for a little while while the people that work for us do theirs, and then finally we have to go back in and kind of fix a lot of trouble, you know, do a lot of dispute settlement and all that, and so it becomes becomes a bit of a challenge, a bit of a race.
0: What about outside of the company? What is, as far as the company conveying itself to the public, what can
1: somebody do to have a a better story in that context? Well, another way that this has impacted us, I mean, one easy way to think about how distraction works in in the outside world is look at a movie trailer now. So for one, we we go to YouTube to look at movie trailers, which we never used to. We used to just have to wait till we're in a movie cinema or sometimes on a TV show. Uh, Look at a movie trailer. Every movie trailer has a five or six second pre-trailer And then the real trailer. And why did they have that? Two reasons. One is that when they pay for the ad with YouTube, you can play, they can force a six second viewing and then you can watch or not watch the rest of the ad. Second is because we're so distracted. So now we have six seconds or less of visual time to convince someone they want to go watch a feature film. You know, it's a lot easier to make someone decide whether or not they want to look at, you know, Tom Cruise and Selma Hayek or something like that then they wanna learn about your company's awesome uh, acoustic tiles that make your bedroom sound better and whatever. So we have to learn how do we, how do we break into the flow of people's attention spans? How do we understand that in, a, in this world, we have to package things so small, so brief, so tight that people will take that little bite and opt to go to another step. Not everything can be sold in a small bite, but attention has to be grabbed in small bites is what i like to say
0: what what's in that small bite that makes it so it's attractive attractive
1: almost every time we use our device we want something right it's a want machine right so we crack open our cell phone we're in a meeting let's say we're not the one speaking and we realize that it's not even to do with us. You ever go to those team meetings like at an office and there's like 26 people and you are absolutely not important to this meeting and you just are forced to be there so that everyone has the same info. Sounds That's familiar. I'm in the world, right? So if you are daring enough to take out your phone during the meeting and look at it, what do you want to do? You want to be distracted and you want to be distracted by something you're into. So you could be planning a vacation. So you'd wanna be looking at destinations. So we want something that's gonna tell us quickly. In that little package, you know, the, the, what you're gonna to try to win, let's say someone's thinking of going to um, Disney World. Uh, in that package, what, you know, what has to happen in that quick 30 seconds or less of time we're gonna have is you have to say, we can take care of everything for you, right? Hmm. You know, whatever the message is gonna to have to be, the message has to be something that's, that pushes a release valve in you. What do you mean? It either pushes you full of pleasure or that takes away some stress and anxiety in, in a weird way. It's um, you know, as, as cannabis gets legalized across the United States and the world uh, it almost is like that kind of a thing of, you know, take this to be mellow, take this to know that you're not going to whatever. I think that the drug that we need to sell the most through our messaging is I've got you because I think universally we're feeling a little less, Got than we used to be.
0: What do you mean, a little less got if there's so many distractions. Uh,
1: so if we are in uh, the the day to day struggles of life, uh, business doesn't feel as solid as it used to for most people. Jobs, uh, they, they always keep the, the, all the numbers point to the fact that there's you know less unemployment than ever before, but there's more underemployment than ever before. Mm. Fewer people are able to uh, make that Friday paycheck stretch all the way to the other Friday, you know, and so. There are many people struggling with that. There's a lot of people who have political anxiety on either side of the uh, current political debates in our world. Um, There's a sense that there are large global issues and global pandemics. Uh, So there's a lot of that sense that the world is careening out of control. And so I would think that anyone who wants to reach someone in some form or fashion, one of the easiest or best or simplest messages to kind of tuck into anything you're going to try to communicate is... I've got this part for you. You know, if you ever go to a restaurant and uh, when you business travel, this happens a lot. You go to a restaurant at the end of your long journey and they ask you 77 questions uh, all the way up to salad. And you're just like, can you just bring me food? I just want to eat food Mm -hmm. in this stupid hotel room and go to bed, right? I think the world is aching for someone to say, I'll pick your meal out. You just sit there and you'll be happy with it or happy enough. And then you can go to bed. And I think that- I think that that's one of the sexiest uh, messaging that a company can give you in one way or another is we're here for you, we're your partner, and we're going to make your life so much better. So once you get past the six seconds, you get their
0: attention, what are the components, in the longer form, what are the components of a good business story?
1: So when I talk about business storytelling, there's kind of three buckets and I talk about this internally and externally. So externally, you know, you're thinking of things like marketing and and, uh, PR and that sort of a thing. But internally, you're talking about the bosses talking to the employees too. There are three big buckets of messages. One is a mission story. Mission stories are those stories that tell you and reinforce what we're all here for, right? You know, the Peace Corps is the toughest job you'll ever love. That's their catchphrase. What the Peace Corps says is you're, you're planning to invest your time and your skills for people who uh, need it more than you can, you know, you can afford to give them some of your time and your skills. Um, all the mission stories they tell are, it's our mission to go out there and deliver this kind of experience or whatever. Every business has a mission story and it, has, it needs more than one mission story and stories to support that. Uh, the second kind of stories are called belonging stories. Advertising stories are belonging stories. You are the kind of person who deserves, deserves is the biggest lie in advertising. You are the kind of person who deserves a Harley Davidson because you work so hard at your day job and you have that wild spirit. We know it's in you, you know. No one wants to be like, you're that accountant. We, lo- we know you love accounting, right? And so a belonging story says you're one of us, you belong. here. And so marketing is almost always belonging stories. But work can have those too. You know, we're LGBTQ friendly. You know, let me tell you about the five women who are the heads of the senior team here. And let me tell you what that means working in a company that's predominantly female led and that sort of a thing. There's so much power in belonging stories. They help internally and externally immensely. Third kind of stories, growth stories. Growth stories are positive and negative, right? Growth stories are, let me tell you a little story. My mom used to say that when she was really mad at me, when she was like kind of beyond a little mad at me, she'd say, let me tell you a little, usually through gritted teeth let me tell you a little story. And it was never a good story. They never had heroes in them. Uh, There was never like sword play. (laughs) Probably going to get, you know, in some trouble. I was going to say get hit, but I didn't get hit enough. Um, Growth stories are positive and negative in that they kind of help us get somewhere. Motivational speakers are growth story type stories. But so, so where I start looking at how businesses can or can't tell these kinds of stories, Carter, I think the fact that, A lot of business leaders think that all leadership stories are growth stories, but they're not. You need mission stories and you need belonging stories. Belonging stories is as simple as where are you from? Oh, I grew up in Maine. Oh, no kidding. I've been to Maine once or twice. I like the lobster. Yeah, I'm from the least interesting part of Maine. I'm from the part that's like, you know, as far away from the cool parts as that. Oh, and then, you know, suddenly you're in a a corner because you have nothing else to say. Or you say, oh, no kidding. Lobster's great. My Uncle Paul was a lobsterman for one year and then he got out of that. Uh, and started knitting the lobster heads that you know they used to put the bait trap in and all that. And it was kind of a weird business, but he was a king of weird businesses. Oh, what other businesses did he have? <laughs> now we're going somewhere, right? So belonging stories, growth stories, and mission stories are what make up business storytelling. Those are the three biggest buckets. And I think that leaders more often than not are being promoted into positions where they they get no training for that, for sure but they also haven't quite understood the facility of it. They don't understand that you could use stories to do the heavy lifting. Instead of, you know, stats are horrible stories, right? Stats are trying to like, you know, walk around eating a bowl of soup with a pencil. So you need something better.
0: And how about the other side of the coin? What should
1: people not do when it comes to storytelling? What are some mistakes that people and businesses make? Businesses, uh, so this happens in advertising and marketing all the time. Businesses love to tell we're awesome stories. You know, like, man, this company is one of the best companies in the world. And what they, I think what they're trying to convey, so this is another problem in in modern life is that we have to be really explicit with what we're trying to convey. You know what I mean? A lot of our stories, like we just say something and leave it out there and hope people interpret it the way we interpreted it, which is ridiculous. So what they're trying to convey with these we're awesome stories is you can count on us because we're this awesome. What people take from that is, oh, so it's all about you. You, you don't care about my success. You care about showing off how successful you are, whether or not I win. What not to do is make the, the business the hero. No matter what you do, make your buyer the hero. The customer is the hero. This works b to b and b to c because someone on this show, someone in Idea Climbingville is saying, oh, well, that's all well and good, but I sell air conditioners to other companies. It's the same thing. There is nothing I say that has anything to do with to whom you sell. The only difference between B2C and B2B is in B2C, you have to convince your wife. And in B2B, you have to convince 15 wives. You know, it's the same thing. And so what not to do, uh, lengthy stories, Uh, what not to do are stories where you're trying to appeal to everyone. This is a change. this Carter, this is like the biggest change in storytelling. It is no longer okay to try to appeal to everyone. We have to make stands. We have to show values. We have to show views. And that means we have to upset someone because you can never please everyone.
0: What do you mean you up- upset somebody?
1: Uh, I am very LGBTQ positive. I think that uh, love is love. That means a big section of Christian people uh, who believe they're Christian uh, think that's an awful idea, right? Uh, Chick-fil-A uh, has paid lots of money to anti-gay companies uh, and, and uh, Salvation Army supports conversion therapy. There are people who don't like LGBTQ. We have to be inclusive of the community that we say we're serving and we have to be really solid about it. Uh, every, uh, what's it, February, whatever Pride Month is, oh, it's in the summer, I think, whenever Pride Month starts to happen, you see all kinds of uh, logos get rainbowy for one month and then vanish, but you don't really understand what their commitment is. That's one group, right? Um, there's people who, stopped buying Nike because they didn't support Colin Kaepernick's views that police shouldn't uh, beat black people for no good reason. Um, Mm. They thought maybe I shouldn't support a company that thinks standing up for human rights is uh, a good idea. And so, they went with other companies well great so adidas has a shoe that they take all kinds of plastic out of the ocean and put it in the shoe and so they've sold 2 million pairs of these so if you if you don't think human lives are important you could just save the ocean instead so that's companies taking stands though mark that's big big message stuff and i think that it used to be you know we never talk about politics or religion right that's the thing everyone says It's not true anymore. It's just that we have to be a lot more intelligent about it. And we have to always approach it from which people do we want to bring to this picnic and how do we want to make sure they know that they're invited and that they're welcome.
0: Well, with uh, getting everything out there, what can small businesses do? Or should, should, when they're smaller, should they go after everybody to put, you know, to keep the lights on and keep money in the bank? Or do you think they should start niching in
1: ASAP? Start on day one. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't know why this has turned into such an LGBTQ thing, but, um, my first example that rushed to mind was a kid I went to eighth grade with. His name was Doug Quint, is Doug Quint. Doug, um, worked for the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, which is a job some humans have, I guess. And, uh, they have the summer off. And he said, I think I want to make one of he's in New York. He says, I think I want to buy or rent one of those ice cream trucks and go around and do ice cream. But he didn't like the product. He thought the product looked gross. And he thought, you know, this isn't going to be as fun. Maybe I can make some ice cream and put it in there. So he made his own little ice cream truck. And he called the truck the Big Gay Ice Cream Truck. And he put a bunch of rainbows on it and stuff. And uh, he had lines around the block instantly. Instantly. First week. uh, Because some people were like, hey, I'm gay. I should get ice cream from the Big Gay Ice Cream Truck. Others were like, oh, isn't that novel? Others were like, well, I don't support gay people. But I'll try that ice cream. And, you know, uh, there was a guy for a little while who tried to make the big straight ice cream company, but by the way, that's like a lot of ice cream companies. So that wasn't much of a, a gimmick. Um, he's gone on to build several restaurants. He has a, a very successful book. Um, and he's done very, very well. He started day one saying, this is who I'm going after. I think that it's not niching down per se. It's, it's including, you know, I, I include these people. I welcome these people. Um, and I think, you know, one last thing about belonging or one other thing about belonging stories, I think the other really important thing we have to do now that's different than the old days is we have to admit to our failings and we have to talk a lot more about kind of the the rough spots in our lives that we, that we work with still, like I do this and this, you know? So for instance, I've talked since 2012 about the fact that I have clinical depression. I say, I deal with clinical depression and I'm a successful business person. You know, and on some days the depression wins. You know, and other whatever. And what people take from that is they're like, oh, I don't think we're supposed to talk about that part. I invented the phrase "dented" to talk about that because it's not like we're saying we're broken, and it's not like we're saying we're any particular ailment. We're not a victim. We're not suffering. Or whatever. But everybody's just a little bit dented in some way. Raised in foster care or something, Um, abusive parents, um, early uh, drug addiction problems, and now sober for eight years and climbing, right? There's so many people who have a background uh, that they were made to hide this their whole life in some way or another. I think the time is now that we can admit to it a little bit and just keep bringing that into the story of our business because someone out there is also going to have dealt with that and who's going to feel some allegiance and connection to you because of that alone. How should
0: businesses go about doing that exact same thing for a business, the vulnerability? Because as a startup, I would imagine you wouldn't want to broadcast, I'm, I'm broke. But I mean, where do you draw the line with the business story?
1: You know what, I, I have uh, as a startup or, well, I'm not a startup. I mean, I run my own small business. But even as a business owner, I've said to clients, look, it would be so much better if you paid this now instead of later. I'm scraping by here. I'm a, I'm a two guy really? company. What do you think is gonna happen if I don't get this? Throw me the money. Um, I don't, I don't think there's anything that's particularly off limits. What you have to be able to do is say you could deliver. And what you have to be able to do is demonstrate that you can deliver, um, with a bigger company. How do you kind of show that vulnerability? You know, Microsoft has an incredible, incredible campaign, uh, around their video game platform. And, uh, they used it in one way to talk about people with physical, uh, handicaps. So I think it was last, uh, Super Bowl, or it might have been the one before now, where they showed their um, adaptive controllers for people with physical di- disabilities and, and differences, and they all these different kids, including this kid Owen, who was nine when the, the video was shot, and he he was missing part of an arm, and he was talking about the fact that he could play with this uh, controller just like his pals. He said, "I was using a regular controller before. I couldn't really show off my skills. Now, now they can tell that I've got some skills." Um, that's one way they used that platform. The other way, same thing. Gaming was uh, inclusivity of women, uh, inclusivity of women as developers, because there's women video game developers, but they kind of get pushed to the margins a bunch. So they were focusing on them, featuring them, uh, raising them up, getting them connected, networking them with other people who needed that kind of a thing. That's Microsoft. That's a massive company. Um, so, so you you don't get the excuse of I'm big. You don't get the excuse of I'm small. You don't get the excuse of I'm a startup. You know. I have for years been trying to help people develop excuse removal systems. And to me, there are so many reasons you can give yourself that your ideas aren't going to go the right places, but they're all just excuses you can execute. With
0: everything that we're talking about, what do you think the most important component of storytelling is? If you're going to do one thing in storytelling right with for your business, do this. And maybe internally and externally.
1: Oh, if I boiled the ocean down to one thing, tell true stories briefly, clearly, and with a call to action built into the story. The best stories that we follow, the best stories we love, the reason Star Wars sucked an entire generation into the fan belt back in 1977, uh, and before that, Star Trek and some other things that still have lifelong fans all over the galaxy. The reason was we could see ourselves doing something in that same world. So in any story, even in a business, the story is I can see you doing something. I just want to help you. Is that the what the goal of is storytelling is? for business is to be Yoda, not Luke. Talk, talk more about Yoda, not Luke. I stole that from Donald Miller uh, from StoryBrand, who's also doing some cool storytelling stuff. Um, the idea is that, you know, you... you You want to be the trusted advisor. That's what Charlie Green and David Meister called it in their book. Uh, You want to be a trust agent, said this Chris Brogan guy and Julian Smith in 09. You want to be the person who equips someone else for success. And so in your storytelling world, you're never trying to tell so much the story of you, which is what we always get all caught up in, right? We're, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't know if I have qualifications for this. I don't know. Uh, know, I don't know if I can... If, if you ever got over the fact that the story is not about you, then you get somewhere. You know, your story is about making the team better. Your story is about making the this space that you love better. And it doesn't even have to be big. You know, some of the best stories, I mean, the big gay ice cream truck, they sold ice cream. This will not change this universe, except that some people said, wow, that's kind of cool that you came out there like that and that you did this big, you know, project around that, right? The stories are about making other people successful. And I think that's where our biggest failing in our stories is, is that we're so worried that everyone thinks we're not good enough in some way that we spend so many of our calories telling stories about how we probably are really good enough. Good. And when you say good enough, is it
0: good enough because people and businesses are comparing them to like, I'm comparing my little startup to Microsoft or I'm not good enough. What's the not good enough
1: part? Every way. I mean, so you have five people who are project managers and the one thinks they're not as good as the other one and they might not be, but, You know they're not going to get better by wondering about whether or not they're good enough. They're going to worry by doing the job better, right? They're gonna they're gonna pick up their skills. Um, When we say we're worried that we're not good enough, you know, some company will say, "Oh, but I'm just a little beer company." You know, Sam Adams uh, beer, uh, Jim Cook. He said, "Oh my gosh, I love how cool it is to make giant beer like Budweiser and Miller. I think this is amazing. I just wish you could do the same thing with a craft beer." And so Jim Cook launched Sam Adams or ran Sam Adams that way. He wanted to be the most mass-produced craft beer in the world. And so he said he never worried that he wasn't good enough. He just said, I'm a craft beer who wants to do this. Um, uh, Sam Collagione from Dogfish Head, they're a very small craft company comparative. They and Sam partnered up. So now there's like a, you know, a synergy there. So there's this big opportunity out there that even if you're the little guy, the little guy has their reasons why they're they're awesome, and then the big guy has reasons why they're awesome. you know you're never too big to x, but you're never too little to y, so it's just a matter of kind of going after the thing you want to go after in the size that you can manage and then you know keep keep your eye on what the end piece is you know what's what does success mean for your organization and what does success mean for the people you hope to serve so
0: with this and going playing off of success in closing if someone's on the fence because storytelling can be you know you have to go through do a lot of work you might have to hire somebody and they're on the fence about i don't know if it's worth the time to put into it what would you tell them
1: i always try to measure if you could learn a better way to communicate with other people so that they really understood you or at least were willing to communicate with you that they didn't understand you would that be worth more than the time spent disagreeing arguing reworking Uh, Having decision making slowdowns. How much procrastination is spent because someone doesn't quite understand the assignment and so they don't deliver on their time. There are so many financial and time based costs to not knowing well enough what was conveyed that I think it's a no brainer. Um, But even more than, you know, cost money cost. there's time cost, right? If you have a deadline, you have a deadline. There's a video game coming out called Cyberpunk 2077. And um, there's a big argument in the video games industry that these companies really work these guys to the bone uh, around launch time. Like once crunch time comes, there's an intense overworking of these employees to make a deadline date. Well, a lot of the problems and a lot of the delays come from misunderstanding, miscommunication, reworks, uh, complete story breakdown uh, as far as what they needed a process or a product to do. Cats, the absolutely bombed film, the Andrew Lloyd Webber film that cost, I don't remember, 80-something million to make and is currently on scale to lose 120-something million. Um, Cats is... uh, a perfect example of no one really quite having everything lined up nicely on a product that has been a musical for a very long time, and it should have been kind of a you know fish in barrel kind of thing to turn into a film, and it was story. It was story that broke everything at every step of the way. It wasn't that the tech wasn't good; it was that they were last minuteing because of a bunch of confusion, mistakes, misunderstandings that could have been cleared up with better communication.
0: So you're saying clear communication? It sounds like that that's both internal and external.
1: Everywhere on the earth that lips move, that is absolutely the thing. It's um, it's it's a external communication is things like marketing and PR and that sort of a thing, you know. But external communication is also you know saying sorry faster. Boeing has been grinding against the public uh, ever since it came out that their their Max plane, seven thirty seven Max or whatever is a bad plane, is a failed plane, has cost lives, hundreds of lives, uh, and they they dragged their feet in every step they could. They denied, they obfuscated, and then they finally started saying, well, you know, maybe there's a problem, and then they finally scrapped it. Billions and billions of market capital of their company is gone, probably irreplaceable for some amount of years. Several jobs are gone, thousands maybe, right? All because- they didn't communicate right up front. Whoa, this is something we've got to work on this. Holy crap. Sorry. And, and just go from there. Communication saves time, money, and lives.
0: Excellent. And in closing, tell true stories. Tell true stories. Thanks for being here, Chris. I appreciate it. Carter, my favorite. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I also hope that you'll subscribe to the Idea Climbing Podcast and rate us on iTunes. Visit ideaclimbing.com to learn more about idea climbing and hear more episodes about mentoring, marketing, and big ideas.